life similar to that on Earth flourishes on such planets. Doctor of Chemistry, Nikolai Zirov, Zirov, Zirov covering the problem of atmosphere on the other planets, pointed out that the organism of a Martian, for instance, could very well adapt itself to normal existence with a low body temperature. He said that he felt that the gaseous composition of Martian atmosphere was quite suitable to sustain life of beings which have become adapted to it. This adaptability of an organism to different varieties of planets is described in the Brahma Sanghita as vibhuti binnam. That is, each and every one of the innumerable planets within the universe is endowed with a particular type of atmosphere. And the living beings there are more perfectly advanced in science and psychology because of a better atmosphere. Vibhuti means specific powers, and binam means variegated. Scientists who are attempting to explore outer space and are trying to reach other planets by mechanical arrangements must know for certain that organisms adapted to the atmospheres, atmosphere of Earth cannot exist in the atmospheres of other planets. Easy journey to other planets. There was a quotation. One has to prepare himself, therefore, to be transferred to a different planet after being relieved of the present body. And it is said in the Bhagavad Gita, Yanti Deva Vrata Devan Pitrin Yanti Pratir Vrata Bhutani Yanti Bhuteja Yanti Madhyajino Pimam. Those who worship the demigods will take birth among the demigods. Those who worship ghosts and spirits will take birth among such beings. And those who worship me will live with me. Maharaj Pariksit's statement regarding the workings of the created, creative energy of the Lord discloses that he knew everything of the process of creation. Why then did he ask Shukadeva Goswami for such information? Maharaj Prikshit, being a great emperor, a descendant of the Pandavas and a great devotee of Lord Krishna, was quite able to know considerably about the creation of the world, but that much knowledge was not sufficient. He said, therefore, that even greatly learned scholars failed to know about that, even after great effort. The Lord is unlimited, and his activities are also unfathomed. With a limited source of knowledge and with imperfect senses, any living being up to the standard of Brahmaji, the highest perfect living being within the universe, can never imagine knowing about the unlimited. We can know something of the unlimited when it is explained by the unlimited, unlimited as has been done by the Lord himself in the unique statements of the Bhagavad Gita, and it can also be known to some extent from realized souls like Shukadeva Goswami, who learned it from Vyasadeva, a disciple of Narada. And thus the perfect knowledge can descend by the chain of disciplic succession only, and not by any form of experimental knowledge, old or modern. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is one, whether he alone acts with the modes of material nature or simultaneously expands in many forms or expands consecutively to different, to direct the modes of nature. Kindly clear up all these doubtful inquiries because you are not only vastly learned in the Vedic literatures and self-realized in transcendence, but are also a great devotee of the Lord and are therefore as good as the personality of Godhead. 
In the Brahma Samhita, it is said that the Supreme Absolute Truth, Govinda, the Personality of Godhead, although one without a second, is infallibly expanded by innumerable forms, non-different from one another, and although he is the original person, he is still ever young with permanent youthful energy. He is very difficult to know simply by learning the transcendental science of the Vedas, but he is very easily realized by his pure devotees. The expansions of different forms of the Lord, as from Krishna to Baladev to Sankarsana, from Sankarsana to Vasudev, from Vasudev to Aniruddha, from Aniruddha to Pradyumna, and then again to Sankarsana, and from him to the Narayan, Purusha Avataras, and innumerable other forms, which are compared to the constant flowing of the uncountable waves of a river, are all one and the same. They are like lamps of equal power, which kindle from one lamp to another. That is the transcendental potency of the Lord. The Vedas say that he is so complete that even though the whole complete identity emanates from him, he still remains the same complete whole. Purna sipurnam adaya purnam evavashishite. As such, there is no validity in a material conception of the Lord produced by the mental speculator. Thus, he remains always a mystery for the mundane scholar, even if he is vastly learned in the Vedic literatures. Therefore, the Lord is beyond the limit of conception for mundane learned scholars, philosophers, or scientists. He is easily understandable for the pure devotee, because the Lord declares in the Bhagavad Gita 1854 that after surpassing the stage of knowledge, when one is able to be engaged in the devotional service of the Lord, then only can one know the true meaning of the Lord. One cannot have any clear conception of the Lord or his holy name, form, attributes, pastimes, etc., unless one is engaged in his transcendental loving service. The statement of the Bhagavad Gita that one must first of all surrender unto the Lord, being freed from all other engagements, means that one must become a pure, unconditional devotee of the Lord. Only then can one know him by the strength of devotional service. Maharaj Prikshit admitted in the previous verse that the Lord is inconceivable, even for the greatest learned scholars. Why then should he again request Shukadeva Goswami to clarify his insufficient knowledge about the Lord? The reason is clear. Not only was Shukadeva Goswami vastly learned in the Vedic literatures, but he was also a great self-realized soul and a powerful devotee of the Lord. A powerful devotee of the Lord is, by the grace of the Lord, more than the Lord himself. The personality of Godhead Sri Ramachandra attempted to bridge the Indian Ocean to reach the island of Lanka. But Sri Hanumanji the unalloyed devotee of the Personality of Godhead could cross the ocean simply by jumping over it. The Lord is so merciful upon his pure devotee that he presents his beloved devotee as more powerful than himself. The Lord expressed himself to be unable to save Durvasa Muni, although the Muni was so powerful that he could reach the Lord directly under material conditions. But Durvasa Muni was saved by Maharaj Ambrish, a devotee of the Lord. Therefore, not only is a devotee of the Lord more powerful than the Lord, but also worship of the devotee is considered more effective than direct worship of the Lord. Madbhakta Pujabhyadika. The conclusion is, therefore, that a serious devotee must first approach a spiritual master who not 
only is well-versed in the Vedic literatures, but is also a great devotee with factual realization of the Lord and his different energies. Without the help of such a devotee spiritual master, one cannot make progress in the transcendental science of the Lord. And a bona fide spiritual master like Shukadeva Goswami does not speak about the Lord only in the matter of his internal potencies, but also explains how he associates with his external potencies. The Lord's pastimes in the internal potency are displayed in his activities in Vrindavana, but his external potential works are directed in his features of Karnadakshai Vishnu, Garbadakshai Vishnu and Shiradakshai Vishnu. Srila Vishnu Chakavarti offers his good counsel to the interested Vaishnavas when he says that they should not be interested in hearing only about the Lord's activities like Rasalila, but must be keenly interested in his pastimes, in his features of the Purusha avatars in connection with Shristi Tattva, creational functions following the examples of Maharaj Prikshit, the ideal disciple, and Shukadeva Goswami, the ideal spiritual master. Sutta Goswami said, When Shukadeva Goswami was thus requested by the king to describe the creative energy of the personality of Godhead, he then systematically remembered the master of the senses, Sri Krishna, and to reply properly, he spoke thus. The devotees of the Lord, while delivering speeches and describing the transcendental attributes of the Lord, do not think that they can do anything independently. They think that they can speak only what they are induced to speak by the Supreme Lord, the master of the senses. The senses of the individual being are not his own. The devotee knows that such senses belong to the Supreme Lord and that they can be properly used when they are employed for the service of the Lord. The senses are instruments and elements are ingredients, all endowed by the Lord. Therefore, whatever an individual can do, speak, see, etc., is under the direction of the Lord only. The Bhagavad Gita 15.15 confirms this. Sarvasya no one is free to act freely and independently, and as such, one should always seek the permission of the Lord to act or eat or speak. And by the blessing of the Lord, everything done by a devotee is beyond the principles of the four defects typical of the conditioned soul. Shukadeva Goswami said, Let me offer my respectful obeisances unto the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who for the creation of the material world accepts the three modes of nature. He is the complete whole residing within the body of everyone, and his ways are inconceivable. This material world is a manifestation of the three modes of goodness, passion, and ignorance. And the Supreme Lord, for the creation, maintenance, and destruction of the material world, accepts three predominating forms as Brahma, Vishnu, and Shankara, Shiva. As Vishnu, he enters into every body materially created. As Garbhadakshai Vishnu, he enters into every universe. And as Shiradakshai Vishnu, he enters the body of every living being. Lord Sri Krishna, being the origin of all Vishnu tattvas, is addressed here as Parakpuman, or Purushottam, as described in the Bhagavad Gita. He is the complete whole. The Purusha avatars are therefore his plenary expansions. Bhakti Yoga is the only process by which one can, 
become competent to know him. Because the empiric philosophers and mystic yogis cannot conceive of the personality of Godhead, he is called Anupalaksha Vartmane, the Lord of the Inconceivable Way, or Bhakti Yoga. I again offer my respectful obeisances unto the form of complete existence and transcendence, who is the liberator of the pious devotees from all distresses and the destroyer of the further advances in atheistic temperament of the non-devotee demons. For the transcendentalists who are situated in the topmost spiritual perfection, he grants their specific destinations. Lord Sri Krishna is the complete form of all existence, both material and spiritual. Akila means complete, and that which is not kila, inferior. As stated in the Bhagavad Gita, there are two kinds of nature, prakriti, namely the material nature, and the spiritual nature, or the external and internal potencies of the Lord. The material nature is called apara, or inferior, and the spiritual nature is called superior or transcendental. Therefore, the form of the Lord is not of the inferior material nature. He is complete transcendence. And he is murti, or having, transcendental form. The less intelligent men who are unaware of his transcendental form describe him as impersonal Brahman. But Brahman is simply the rays of his transcendental body, yasya prabha. The devotees who are aware of his transcendental form render him service. Therefore, the Lord also reciprocates by his causeless mercy and thus delivers his devotees from all distresses. The pious men who follow the rulings of the Vedas are also dear to him, and therefore the pious men of this world are also protected by him. The impious and the non-devotees are against the principles of the Vedas, and so such persons are always hampered from making advances in their nefarious activities. Some of them who are especially favored by the Lord are killed by him personally, as in the cases of Ravana, Hiranyakashipu, and Kamsa, and thus such demons get salvation and are thereby checked from further progress in their demoniac activities. Just like a kind father, either in his favor upon the devotees or his punishment of the demons. He is ever kind to everyone because he is the complete existence for all individual existence. The Paramahamsa stage of existence is the highest perfectional stage of spiritual values. According to Srimati Kunti Devi, the Lord is factually understood by the Paramahamsa only, by the Paramahamsas only. As there is gradual realization of the transcendence from impersonal Brahman to localized Paramatma to the personality of Godhead, Purushottam, Lord Krishna, similarly, there is gradual promotion of one's situation in the spiritual life of sannyas, kudichak, bahudak, parivraja, kacharja, and paramahamsa are gradual pro progressive stages in the renounced order of life. Sannyas and Queen Kunti Devi, the mother of the Pandavas, has spoken about them in her prayers for Lord Krishna. Canto 1, Chapter 8. The paramahamsas are generally found among both the impersonalists and the devotees. But according to Srimad Bhagavatam, as clearly stated by Kunti Devi, pure bhakti yoga is understood by the Paramahamsas. And Kunti Devi has especially mentioned that the Lord descends, Paritranaya Sadhunam, especially to award bhakti yoga to the Paramahamsas. 
So ultimately, the Paramahamsas, in the true sense of the term, are unalloyed devotees of the Lord. Srila Jiva Goswami has directly accepted that the highest destination is bhakti yoga, by which one accepts the transcendental loving service of the Lord. Those who accept the path of bhakti yoga are the factual Paramahamsas. Since the Lord is very kind to everyone, the impersonalists who accept bhakti as the means of merging in the existence of the Lord in his impersonal Brahma Jyoti are also awarded their desired destination. He has assured everyone in the Bhagavad Gita 4.11, Ye yatamam prapadyande. According to Srila Vishnu Chakravarti, there are two classes of Paramahamsas, namely the Brahmanandis, impersonalists, and the Premanandis, devotees. And both are awarded their desired destinations, although the Premanandis are more f fortunate than the Brahmanandis. But both the Brahmanandis and the Premanandis are transcendentalists, and they have nothing to do with the inferior material nature full of the existential miseries of life. And now we'll take a few reflections or questions to amplify what we've read so far. If you could kindly turn on the Zoom room so we can see who's here. Haribo. Yes. Here comes a microphone. Mataji, right there, please. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Could you elaborate a little bit on this Brahmanandis and Paramanandis? Premanandis. Hmm. Brahmanandis means those who are seeking to merge into the Lord's impersonal existence. Brahman. And Premanandis are those who want to develop Prema, which means they'll have a relationship with Krishna. So there's two classes of transcendentalists. There are the impersonalists and the personalists. Prabhupada's saying here, they're both transcendentalists because they have nothing to do with the material world. But one of them is destined for the source of everything, Krishna, and a relationship with him. And the others are content to give up the material world and merge into the existence or the impersonal existence of the Lord, like his Brahma Jyoti. You got to use the mic. So the Premanandis then do they fall into category of bhaktas or? Yes, you got to be a bhakta to be a Premanandi. That's why we say go to Premanandi, <laughs> because bhakti means love. You can't be one with something and, and still have love. It has to be two for love, the, the lover and the beloved. But if you want to merge and become one, then there's no love. Reflections, questions? Okay, there's one question on the Zoom room, and that looks like Deva Vrata. Hare Krishna, Guru Maharaj. Hare Krishna. I have a question. Um, recently, I was distributing books at University of Utah, and I had kind of a unique day, and I guess... It seems like a lot of students that you meet, it's difficult for them to accept the authority of like religious scripture. And it seems like there's a lot of faith in the direction of, you know, what they're learning from professors or, you know, the narrative of modern scientists for so many years. And I'm just, the questions arising in my mind, mostly because I'm reading Transcendental Diary and then we're also reading this and it's so wonderful. But how do we convince the general public 
to accept the authority of Shastra and sh shift the axiomatic from the postmodernistic perspective of scientists to the, the Shastric perspective? Well, people don't change their sentiments just by a, a, an, the, through the intellectual approach. They come into the association of people that they think seem trustworthy, and then after some time they feel like, well, they really are trustworthy. Not only that, they're kind of nice. And then when there's prasadam, and then there's kartik, and there's candles, and all these things, people's hearts start to appreciate and become, uh, you know, a Tao Shraddha. Shraddha means really where you put, place your heart. And so people's hearts change when they get association with devotees. And then they're willing and open to switching their allegiance. Because one way or another, as Prabhupada was pointing out here yesterday, one has to uh, accept a priori what some authority is saying. Nobody goes to school and then goes back and double checks everything, <laughs> every scientific theory. You can't do it. And similarly, we can't double check every spiritual theory also. That's why ultimately we have to accept some authority. And so when, when people get around devotees and they appreciate them, then there's, there's a way in which you start to see the sense in it. Plus, it is so commonsensical. There's a, a framework for the presentation through which there's epistemology. It makes sense that uh, we can't understand with our material senses, which have defects, the nature of the world that we have to accept from a higher authority. And it also makes sense that the one who created everything in the beginning would be the best authority to go through. It also makes sense that there would be a disciplic line coming from there and so forth. So by degrees, when people get the chance to hear, they, they can also be convinced intellectually as well. In Thank Gita, you. In the Gita, Krishna says, you're welcome. In the Gita, Krishna says in the 13th chapter that some people are open to hearing from authorities. So then when you talk to them about it, then they'll accept it. And then it's, it's not a big issue for a lot of people. But sometimes people are really invested in the, uh, uh, one particular approach or another. And you can't awaken a person who's dedicated to pretending to be asleep. Like, even if they hear the truth, they're not so inclined to say, yeah, okay, I think you're right and I'm wrong. <laughs> especially not nowadays. Yes. Bhakti Krishna and then Roman. Um, thank you, Shila Gurudev. Tanvid uh, Pranams. So um, I like this point. The Lord is so merciful upon his pure devotee that he presents his beloved devotee as more powerful than himself. I was hearing this uh, lecture by some devotee and he, she was saying that, you know, first Lord Ramachandra came and then he gave... The, he himself went by bridge, but he gave the power to Lord Hanuman. So he wanted to glorify Lord Hanuman more. But still everybody was saying, Jai Shri Ram, Jai Shri Ram. And then second, uh, and uh, he, um, he, uh, he went with his devotee and he used weapons and everything. So, but in the second uh, avatar, Krishna, with 
Krishna came uh, and he didn't use any weapons uh, uh, for Mahabharata war and still everybody was glorifying Krishna. <laughs> and then, but, uh, so um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, she was saying, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came and then, you know, he sent uh, Srila Prabhupada afterwards for 50 letters. So now we say Jai Srila Prabhupada also. So um, I, I really, I was reminded of that by, uh, you know, because of this point, the Lord is so much. Yeah. The Das, 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 Anudasa, that's the point Prabhupada made yesterday. This is Gopi Bhartu Padakamali or Das, 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 Anudasa, that the, the way in which to become connected with Krishna is not direct, but it's through his being a servant of the servant of the servant. And as far as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu goes, he used to glorify his devotees. Like he'd say, whatever I know about this, I learned from Sarvabhama Bhattacharya. Or Raman and Roy, and uh, it's a very um, these are very charming dealings he has with his devotees. He always glorifies them and says, "Oh no, it's coming from them." And there, Prabhupada points out, there's always a competition between the Lord and his devotees for serving one another. Roman, Hare Krishna Maharaj. Uh, uh, I've got to like like to continue the point of Prabhu. I like the fact too that uh, Lord Krishna gives more power to his devotees, and I remind myself uh, uh, Lord Jagannath pastimes when he summoned the Hanuman to the temple, but he used his chakra to block the entrance to the temple, and Hanuman prayed to Lord Jagannath to give him multiple hands, that he was handling chakra by one hand, and he still was able to chant by another hand, but. Uh, it also gives us an idea that if we uh, succeed in our devotional service, we could receive some sort of mercies of Krishna to uh, you know, perform our daily, daily service much more better, you know, to satisfy Guru, to satisfy Srila Prabhupada. It's a wonderful point, too. Yes, certainly. Devotional service is an empowered activity. For instance, take chanting 16 rounds. Many people start off and it feels inconceivable that they could even chant one round in a day. And then after they start chanting, they feel empowered and they start chanting four rounds. And then suddenly they're chanting eight and then 12 and then 16. And then it becomes a regular daily function that they never give up. And so this is Krishna's uh, empowerment for devotees to do devotional service because that's their desire. Tesham satata yuktanam vachatam vritti purvakam dadami buddhi yogam tam yenamam upayantite. Krishna says that I empower those who are sincere to do wonderful devotional activities. Anything else? Thank you, Bhakti Roman. Yes. Uh, like that important important point point that um, the one can't uh, can't uh, reach the clear um, uh, concept of the holy name of the uh, Krishna's pastimes and forms. Um, it's it's uh, achievable only by devotional service. So it teaches how like you should be 
like I'm thinking like should be patient uh, that understanding about the Lord's name and um, pastimes it doesn't come right away so it should be patient and practice devotional service to Krishna Guru all the charis and Vaishnavas and then gradually it will come be very patient <laughs> not expecting right away to come this realization completely yeah that's a good point to be patient I have a question okay yes Subhadra. I was I was um you were you always talk about how we're we should meditate on satisfying Krishna's senses. <clears throat> and then in this last purport, Prabhupada said that the senses are instruments. So he's talking about our senses. So if our senses are instruments, what are Krishna's senses? Since they're interchangeable and... Well, Krishna's senses are non-different from Krishna. Angani yasya sakalendri avritimanti. And so Krishna's senses are Krishna. There's no difference between the two. Whereas we are in a body. We're not the body. Krishna is his form. So his senses are non-different and our senses are different from the material senses that we have, we've acquired now because of the accommodation of the material modes of nature because of our desire then as mentioned in the Gita, Chotram Shakshu Sparshanam Cha Rasanam Granam Evacha Atishtayam Manaschayam Vishayan Upasevate Material nature gives us a set of senses. And so realization that this body belongs to Krishna and I'll use it as an instrument is the way in which we become liberated and also we purify the senses by engaging them in Krishna's service. If I didn't answer your question, you can ask it again. In a you did. That's way. kind of what I thought, but you know, sometimes you just have to, like she was saying before, be patient until you get full realization of what that really means. So, so yeah, it, he is his buddy. It really means that there's actually a simple way of appreciating that when I use my senses for my own satisfaction, I feel frustrated. But the moment I change my attitude and think this body is meant to be engaged in Krishna's service, then it's palpable that I feel satisfied and happy, despite the the whatever miserable condition the body's in. It's then. Uh, one realizes I'm not the body and I can use it in Krishna's service and I maintain it the best I can but ultimately it's up to Krishna how long that I keep it even and uh, when we release that burden of thinking I am my body and I have to enjoy this body and I have to maintain it that is forever then we're free to serve Krishna that's very practical. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Ramananda, any more on the board? I can't see everybody. Okay. Everyone okay? Yes. Thanks for coming. Let me meditate, excuse me, let me offer my respectful obeisances unto he who is the associate of the members of the Yadu dynasty. 
and who is always a problem for the non-devotees. He, he is the supreme enjoyer of both the material and spiritual worlds, yet he enjoys his own abode in the spiritual sky. There is no one equal to him because he... There is no one equal to him because his transcendental opulence is immeasurable. There are two sides of the transcendental manifestations of the Supreme Lord, Sri Krishna. For the pure devotees, he is the constant companion, as in the case of his becoming one of the family members of the Yadu dynasty, or his becoming the friend of Arjuna, or his becoming the associate neighbor of the inhabitants of Vrindavan, as the son of Nanda Yashoda, the friend of Sudama, Sri Dhamma, and Madhumangala, or the lover of the damsels of Rajabhumi, etc. This is part of his personal features. And by his impersonal feature, he expands the rays of the Brahmajyoti, which is limitless and all-pervasive. Part of this all-pervasive Brahmajyoti, which is compared to the sun rays, is covered by the darkness of the Mahat Tattva. And this insignificant part is known as the material world. In this material world, there are innumerable universes like the one we can experience. And in each of them, there are hundreds of thousands of planets like the one we are inhabiting. The mundaners are more or less captivated by the unlimited expansion of the rays of the Lord, but the devotees are concerned more with his personal form from which everything is emanating. As the sun's Ray, as, a, as the sun rays are concentrated in the sun disk, the Brahmajyoti is concentrated in Goloka Vrindavan, the topmost spiritual planet in the spiritual sky. The innumerable spiritual sky, the immeasurable spiritual sky, is full of spiritual planets named Vaikuntas, far beyond the material sky. The mundaners have insufficient information of even the mundane sky, so what can they think of the spiritual sky? Therefore, the mundaners are always far, far away from him. Even if in the future they are able to manufacture some machine whose speed may be accelerated to the velocity of the wind or mind, the mundaners will still be unable to imagine reaching the planets in the spiritual sky. So the Lord and his residential abode will always remain a myth or a mysterious problem. But for the devotees, the Lord will always be available as an associate. In the spiritual sky, his opulence is immeasurable. The Lord resides in all the spiritual planets, the innumerable Vaikuntha planets, by expanding his plenary portions along with his liberated devotees, devotee associates. But the impersonalists who want to merge in the existence of the Lord are allowed to merge as one of the spiritual sparks of the Brahmajyoti. They have no qualifications for becoming associates of the Lord either in the Vaikuntha planets or in the supreme planet, Goloka Vrindavan, described in the Bhagavad Gita as Madhama. And here, in this verse, as the Swadhama of the Lord. This Madhama or Swadhama is described in the Bhagavad Gita 15.6 as follows. Natad bhasayate suryo na shanku the Lord's Swadhamma does not require any sunlight or moonlight or electricity for illumination. That Dhamma or place is supreme, and whoever goes there never comes back to this material world. The Vaikuntha planets 
and the Goloka Vrindavan planet are all self-illuminating, and the rays scattered by those Swadhamma or the Lord constitute the existence of the Brahmajyoti. As further confirmed in the Vedas like the Mundaka, Katta, and Shwetashvatara Upanishads, Natatrasuryo Bhati Nachandratarakam Nema Vidyuto Bhantikuto Yam Agni Tameva Bantam Anubhati Sarvam Tasya Bhasa Sarvam Idam Vipati. In the Swadhamma of the Lord, there is no need of sun, moon, or stars for illumination, nor is there need of electricity. So, what to speak of ignited lamps? On the other hand, it is because those planets are self-illuminating that all effulgence has become possible. And whatever there is that is dazzling is due to the reflection of that Swadhamma. One who is dazzled by the effulgence of the impersonal Brahmajyoti cannot know the personal transcendence. Therefore, in the Ishopanishad 15, it is prayed that the Lord shift his dazzling effulgence so that the devotee can see the real reality. It is spoken thus, Hiranmayena patrina satyasya pihitam bukam tatang pavranu satyadharmaya drishtaye. O Lord, you are the maintainer of everything, both material and spiritual, and everything flourishes by your mercy. Your devotional service or bhakti yoga is the actual principle of religion, satyadharma, and I am engaged in that service. So kindly protect me by showing your real face. Please, therefore, remove the veil of your Brahmajyoti rays so that I can see your form of eternal bliss and knowledge. Let me offer my respectful obeisances unto the all-auspicious Lord Sri Krishna, about whom glorification, remembrances, audience, prayers, hearing, and worship can at once cleanse the effects of all sins of the performer. Purport, the sublime form of religious performances to free oneself from all reactions of sins is suggested herein by the greatest authority, Sri Shukadeva Goswami. Kirtanam, or glorifying the Lord, can be performed in many, in very many ways, such as remembering, visiting temples to see the deity, offering prayers in front of the Lord, and hearing recitations of glorification of the Lord as they are mentioned in the Srimad Bhagavatam or in the Bhagavad Gita. Kirtanam can be performed both by singing the glories of the Lord in accompaniment with melodious music and by recitation of scriptures like Srimad Bhagavatam or Bhagavad Gita. The devotees need not be disappointed in the physical absence of the Lord, though they may think of not being associated with him. The devotional process of chanting, hearing, remembering, etc., either all or some of them, or even one of them, can give us the desired result of associating with the Lord by discharging the transcendental loving service of the Lord in the above manner. Even the very sound of the holy name of the Lord, of Lord Krishna or Rama, can at once surcharge the atmosphere spiritually. We must know definitely that the Lord is present wherever such pure transcendental service is performed, and thus the performer of offenseless kirtanam has positive association with the Lord. 
Similarly, remembrance and prayers also can give us the desired results if they are properly done under expert guidance. One should not concoct forms of devotional service. One may worship the form of the Lord in a temple, or one may impersonally offer the Lord devotional prayers in a mosque or a church. One is sure to get free from the reactions of sins, provided one is very careful about not committing sins willingly in expectation of getting free from the reactions of sins by worshiping in the temple or by offering prayers in the church. This mentality of committing sins willfully on the strength of devotional service is called namno balad yasyahi papabuddhi, and it is the greatest offense in the discharge of devotional service. Hearing, therefore, is essential in order to keep oneself strictly on guard against such pitfalls of sins. And in order to give special stress to the hearing process, the Goswami invokes the all-auspicious fortune in this manner. Let me offer my respectful obeisances again and again unto the all-auspicious Lord Sri Krishna, the highly intellectual, simply by surrendering unto his lotus feet, are relieved of all attachments to present and future existences, and without difficulty progress towards spiritual existence. Lord Sri Krishna has repeatedly instructed Arjuna, or for that matter, everyone concerned with becoming his unalloyed devotee, in the last phase of his instruction in the Bhagavad Gita, 1864-66, through 66, he instructed most confidentially as follows. Sarva guyatamam puhya shrinume paramam bacha ishto si medradham itti tato vakshyami te hitam manmana bhavamad bhakto madhyaji mam namaskuru mami vashyasi satyam te pratijani priyosime Sarvadarman pratyaja, mame kam sharanam raja, ahang tang sarvapape pyo, mukshai shami masuchaha. My dear Arjuna, you are very, very, you are very dear to me, and therefore, only for your good I will disclose the most secret part of my instructions. It is simply this become a pure devotee of mine, and give yourself unto me only, and I promise you full spiritual existence by which you may gain the eternal right of transcendental loving service unto me. Just give up all other ways of religiosity and exclusively surrender unto me and believe that I will protect you from your sinful acts. And I shall deliver you. Do not worry anymore. Persons who are intelligent take serious notice of this last instruction of the Lord. Knowledge of the self is the first step in spiritual realization, which is called confidential knowledge. And a step further is God-realization, which is called more confidential knowledge. The culmination of the knowledge of Bhagavad Gita is God-realization. And when one attains this stage of God-realization, he naturally voluntarily becomes a devotee of the Lord to render him loving transcendental service. This devotional service to the Lord is always based on love of God and is distinct from the nature of routine service as prescribed in karma yoga, jnana yoga, or dhyana yoga. In the Bhagavad Gita, there are different instructions for such men of different categories, and there are various descriptions for vanashrama dharma, sannyasa dharma, yati dharma, the renounced order of life, 
controlling the senses, meditation, perfection of mystic powers, etc. But one who fully surrenders unto the Lord to render service unto him out of spontaneous love for him factually assimilates the essence of all, of all knowledge described in the Vedas. One who adopts this method very skillfully attains perfection of life at once. And this perfection of human life is called Brahmagati, or the progressive march in spiritual existence. As enunciated by Srila Jiva Goswami on the basis of Vedic assurances, on the basis of Vedic assurances, Brahmagati means to attain a spiritual form as good as that of the Lord, and in that form, the liberated living being eternally lives on one of the spiritual planets situated in the spiritual sky. Attainment of this perfection of life is easily available to a pure devotee of the Lord without his undergoing any difficult method of perfection. Such a devotional life is full of kirtanam, smaranam, ikshanam, etc., as mentioned in the previous verse. One must therefore adopt this simple way of devotional life in order to attain the highest perfection available in any category of the human form of life in any part of the world. I'll read that last one again. It's too nice. One must therefore adopt this simple way of devotional life in order to attain the highest perfection available in any category of the human form of life in any part of the world. That just, there's your blanket coverage. You need a blanket policy? There it is. What's it going to take to get, us, get you into a blanket policy today, Bob? When Lord Brahma met Lord Krishna, as a playful child in Vrindavan, he offered his prayer in which he said, Shreya Shritim Bhakti Mudasite Vibho, Kushantye Kevala Bhutalabdaye, Tesha Masao Kleshala Eva Shishite, Nanyadhyatasthula Tushavaghatinam. Bhakti Yoga is the highest quality of perfection to be achieved by the intelligent person in Liu of performing a large quantity of spiritual activities. The example cited here is very appropriate. A handful of real paddy is more valuable than heaps of paddy skins without any substance within. Similarly, one should not be attracted by the jugglery of karmakanda or jnanakanda or even the gymnastic performances of yoga, but skillfully should take to the simple performances of kirtanam, smaranam, etc under a bona fide spiritual master and without any difficulty attain the highest perfection. Haribo! There you have it. Let me offer my respectful obeisances unto the all-auspicious Lord Sri Krishna again and again because the great learned sages, the great performers of charity, the great workers of distinction, the great philosophers and mystics, the great chanters of the Vedic hymns and the great followers of Vedic principles cannot achieve any fruitful result without dedication of such great qualities to the service of the Lord. Purport, advancement of learning a charitable disposition, political, social, or religious leadership of human society, philosophical speculations, the practice of the yoga system, expertise in the Vedic rituals, and all similar high qualities in man serve one in the attainment of perfection only when they are employed in the service of the Lord. Without such dovetailing, all such qualities become sources of trouble for people in general. Everything can be utilized either for one's own sense gratification 
or in the service of one other than oneself. There are two kinds of self-interest only, namely personal selfishness and extended selfishness. But there is no qualitative difference between personal and extended selfishness. Theft for personal interest or for the family interest is of the same quality, namely criminal. A thief pleading not guilty because of committing theft, not for personal interest, but for the interest of society or country, has never been excused by the established law of any country. People in general have no knowledge that the self-interest of a living being attains. People in general have no knowledge that the self-interest of a living being attains perfection only when such an interest coincides with the interest of the Lord. For example, what is the interest of maintaining body and soul together? One earns money for maintenance of the body, personal or social, but unless there is God consciousness, unless the body is being properly maintained to realize one's relation with God, all good efforts to maintain body and soul together are similar to the attempts of the animals to maintain body and soul together. The purpose of maintaining the body is different from that of the animals. Similarly, advancement of learning, economic development, philosophical research, study in the Vedic literature, or even the execution of pious activities like charity, opening of hospitals, and the distribution of food grains should be done in relation with the Lord. The aim of all such acts and endeavors must be the pleasure of the Lord and not the satisfaction of any other identity, individual or collective. Samsadira Haritoshanam. In the Bhagavad Gita 927, the same principle is confirmed where it is said that whatever we may give in charity and whatever we may observe in austerity must be given over to the Lord or be done on his account only. The expert leaders of a godless human civilization cannot bring about a fruitful result in all their different attempts at educational advancement or economic development unless they are God-conscious. And to become God-conscious, one has to hear about the all-auspicious Lord, and he is described in literature like the Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam. Kirata unandra pulindra pukasha abhirashamba yavana kasareya yene chapapa yadapashraya shaya shudyanti tasmai pravavishnave namaha. You came in on the right verse. Kiratahuna, Andhra, Pulinda, Pulkasha, Abhira, Shumba, Yavana, members of the Kasa races, and even others addicted to sinful acts can be purified by taking shelter of the devotees of the Lord due to his being the supreme power. I beg to offer my respectful obeisances unto him because this is the anthem of the Hare Krishna movement. Purport. Kirata, a providence of old Bharat Varsha, mentioned in the Bhishma Parva of the Mahabharata. Generally, the Kiratas are known as the aboriginal tribes of India, and in modern days, the Santel Parganas in Bihar and Chota. Nagpur might comprise the old province named Kirata. Huna, the area of East Germany and part of Russia, is known as the province of the Hunas. Accordingly, sometimes a kind of hill tribe is known as the Hunas. Andhra, province in southern India, mentioned in the Bhishma Par Parva of Mahabharata, 
it is still extant under the same name. Pulinda, it is mentioned in the Mahabharata. That is, the inhabitants of the province, for example, the inhabitants of the province of the name Pulinda. This country was conquered by Bhimasena and Sahadeva. The Greeks are known as Pulindas, and it is mentioned in the Vanaparva of Mahabharata that the non-Vedic race of this part of the world would rule over the world. This Pulinda province was also one of the provinces of Bharata, and the inhabitants were classified among the Kshatriya kings. But later on, due to their giving up the Brahminical culture, they were mentioned as Mlechas, just as those who are not followers of the Islamic culture are called Kafirs, and those who are not followers of Christian culture are called heathens. Abhira, this name also appears in the Mahabharata, both in the Sabaparva and the Bhishma Parva. It is mentioned that this province was situated on the river Saraswati in Sindh. The modern Sindh province formerly extended on the other side of the Arabian Sea, and all the inhabitants of that province were known as Abhiras. They were under the domination of Maharaj Yudhishthira, and according to the statements of Markandeya, the Malechas of this part of the world would also rule over Bharata. Later on, this proved to be true, as in the case of the Pulindas. On behalf of the Pulindas, Alexander the Great conquered India, and on behalf of the Abhiras, Muhammad Ghori conquered India. These Abhiras were also formerly Kshatriyas within the Brahminical culture, but they gave up the connection. The Kshatriyas were, who were afraid of Pur Parusharam had hidden themselves in the Caucasian hilly regions later on became known as Abhiras, and the place they inhabited was known as Abhiradesh. Shumbas or Kankas, the inhabitants of the Kanka province of Old Bharat mentioned in the Mahabharata. Yavanas, Yavana was the name of one of the sons of Maharaj Yayati, who was given the part of the world known as, known as Turkey to rule. Therefore, the Turks are Yavanas due to being descendants of Maharaj Yavana. The Yavanas were therefore Kshatriyas, and later on, by giving up the Brahminical culture, they became Lecha Yavanas. Descriptions of the Yavanas are in the Mahabharata. Another prince called Turvashu was also known as Yavana, and his country was conquered by Sahadeva, one of the Pandavas. The western Yavana joined with Duryodhan in the battle of Kurukshetra under the pressure of Karna. It is also foretold that these Yavanas also would conquer India, and it proved to be true. Kasa, the inhabitants of Kashadesh, are mentioned in the Mahabharata, Dronaparva. Those who have a stunted growth of hair on the upper lip are generally known as Kasas. As such, the Kasas are the Mongolians, the Chinese, and others who are so designated. The above-mentioned historical names are different nations of the world. Even those who are constantly engaged in sinful acts are all corrigible. Please look up the word. Corrigible. We usually say incorrigible, but it's so nice to hear it used this way. Even those who are constantly engaged in sinful acts are all corrigible to the standard of perfect human beings if they take shelter of the devotees of the Lord. Uh-oh. I see. You've designated. Yes. Okay. Um, capable of being corrected, rectified, or reformed. That is uh, corrigible. 
And can we have the etymological history, please? It, it says uh, origin. Oh, and there it is. Yeah. Um, it says it's from Old French, corrigible, from medieval Latin, corrigibilis, that which can be corrected from Latin, corrigere, to put straight to reform. And yeah, it's from like the 1580s. 1580s? Yeah. Okay. We can thank our brethren from the 1580s for bringing us the word corrigible. The above-mentioned historical names are different nations of the world. Even those who are constantly engaged in sinful acts are all corrigible to the standard of perfect human beings if they take shelter of the devotees of the Lord. Jesus Christ and Muhammad, two powerful devotees of the Lord, have done tremendous service on behalf of the Lord on the surface of the globe. And from the version of Srila Shukadeva Goswami, it appears that instead of running a godless civilization in the present context of the world situation, if the leadership of world affairs is entrusted to the devotees of the Lord, for which a worldwide organization under the name and style of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness has already been started, then by the grace of the Almighty Lord, there can be a thorough change of heart in human beings all over the world, because the devotees of the Lord are able authorities to effect such a change by purifying the dust-worn minds of the people in general. The politicians of the world may remain in their respective positions because the pure devotees of the Lord are not interested in political leadership or diplomatic implications. The devotees are interested only in seeing that the people in general are not misguided by political propaganda and in seeing that the valuable life of a human being is not spoiled in following a type of civilization which is ultimately doomed. If the politicians, therefore, would be guided by the good counsel of the devotees, then certainly there would be a great change in the world situation by the purifying propaganda of the devotees, as shown by Lord Chaitanya. As Shukadeva Goswami began his prayer by discussing the word, yet kirtanam, so also Lord Chaitanya recommended that simply by glorifying the Lord's holy name, a tremendous change of heart can take place by which the complete misunderstanding between the human nations created by politicians can at once be extinguished. And after the extinction of the fire of misunderstanding, other prophets will follow. The destination is to go back home, back to Godhead, as we have several times discussed in these pages. According to the cult of devotion, generally known as Vaishnava cult, the Vaishnava cult, there's no bar against anyone's advancing in the matter of God-realization. A Vaishnava is powerful enough to turn into a Vaishnava, even the Kirata, etc. As above mentioned, in the Bhagavad Gita, it is also said by the Lord that there's no bar to becoming a devotee of the Lord, even for those who are low-born, women, shudras, vaishas, and by becoming a devotee, everyone is eligible to return home back to Godhead. The only qualification is that one takes shelter of a pure devotee of the Lord who has thorough knowledge in the transcendental science of Krishna, Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam. Anyone from any part of the world who becomes well-conversant in the science of Krishna becomes a pure devotee, and a spiritual master for the general mass of people and may reclaim them by purification of heart. Though a person be even the most sinful man, 
he can at once be purified by systematic contact with a pure, pure Vaishnav. A Vaishnav, therefore, can accept a bona fide disciple from any part of the world without any consideration of caste and creed and promote him by regulative principles to the status of a pure Vaishnav who is transcendental to Brahminical culture. The system of caste or Varnashrama Dharma is no longer regular even amongst the so-called followers of the system. Nor is it now possible to reestablish the institutional function in the present context of social, political, and economic revolution. Without any reference to the particular custom of a country, one can be accepted to the Vaishnav cult spiritually, and there is no hindrance in the transcendental process. So by the order of Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the cult of Srimad Bhagavatam or the Bhagavad Gita can be preached all over the world reclaiming all persons willing to accept the transcendental cult. Such cultural propaganda by the devotees will certainly be accepted by all persons who are reasonable and inquisitive without any particular bias for the custom of the country. The Vaishnav never accepts another Vaishnav on the basis of birthright, just as he never thinks of the deity in, of the Lord in the temple as an idol. And to remove all doubts in this connection, Srila Shukadeva Goswami has invoked the blessings of the Lord who is all-powerful, Prabhavishnavainamaha. As the all-powerful Lord accepts the humble service of his devotee in devotional activities of the archan, his form as the worshipable deity in the temple, similarly the body of a pure Vaishnava changes transcendentally and at once when he gives himself up to the service of the Lord and is trained by a qualified Vaishnav. The injunction of Vaishnav regulation in this connection runs as follows. Arche Vishnu Shiladir Gurushu Naramatir Vaishnavi Jati Bhuti, Shri Vishnu Namni Shubda Samanya Bhuti, etc. One should not consider the deity of the Lord as worshipped in the temple to be an idol, nor should one consider the authorized spiritual master an ordinary man nor should one consider a pure Vaishnav to belong to a particular caste, etc. That's from the Padma Purana. The conclusion is that the Lord being all-powerful can under any the conclusion is that the Lord being all-powerful can under any and every circumstance accept anyone from any part of the world either personally or through his bona fide manifestation as the spiritual master. Lord Chaitanya ex uh, mm. Lord Chaitanya accepted many devotees from communities other than the Vaish Varnashramites, and he himself declared to teach us that he does not belong to any caste or social order of life, but that he is the eternal servant of the servant of the Lord who maintains the damsels of Vrindavan, Lord Krishna. That is the way of self-realization. Haribo. Good timing, huh? Okay, we'll take a few reflections or questions to expand the conversation. Work with me, people. Okay. I like that. I mean, Parikshit Maharaj asked Shukdev Goswami to explain creation, and several verses, Shukdev Goswami is reciting prayers after prayers to the Lord before he explains creation, just to seek the blessings. So that differentiates versus mundane scholars who like 
they are not depend on the lord to gain the knowledge here shukdev goswami is depend on the lord to yeah it's a good observation and shila bhakti siddhanta would add the um phrase krishna willing when he talked about i'm going to calcutta krishna willing i'm going to give class now krishna willing and there's there's always that sense with a, a devotee that i'm not doing it krishna's doing it i'm just acting as an instrument and looking to see you know what is it that is my duty what does krishna want me to do and then trying to do that thank you yes hari krishna gurmas please accept my sentences i had a reflection and a question the okay. reflection was when prabhupad said that uh, by glorifying the the lord and engaging in sankirtan movement differences between the countries will go away mm. so that was a nice point because we all want universal brotherhood and that can come only by the sankirtan movement and the question was uh, in the purport prepper writes that though a person be even the most sinful man he can at once be purified by systematic contact with a pure vaishnava so i wanted to ask what is the meaning of systematic contact just like propat before he started this organization you can note in his letters that he had conceived of a way that any person could come into the community and then have a step by step process through which he or she could become purified and you see it manifest now in the iskon model that propat started so that people have an opportunity to come and participate and then take up a regulative practice and also principles things to avoid so one doesn't get implicated more in the in the, in the material nature and then for instance chanting 16 rounds and daily hearing of shrimad bhagavatam these are systematic processes like the the vaidhi process that you follow the tenets of the shastra and you just um satovrite you take up the practices that that are given by the acharyas and then your life becomes systematized around that and there are many ways that that word system systematic is used like for instance anupashyati in the verse yastu sarvani bhutani atmani vanupashyati anupashyati means that one should systematically see all living entities as parts of krishna so not only do we regulate our senses by getting up early in the morning practice chanting take bath and hear shrimad bhagavatam and so forth but also we systematically see krishna within everything as per the direction of the scripture Does that help and it just reminded me also uh, shri antariksha prabhu asked the question yesterday about the impersonal super soul because we're talking about pancho or prabhupad had mentioned pancho pasanam and pancho pasana is for the impersonalists or the mayavadis shankaracharya invented that and it's because you can't look at nothing and you can't meditate on nothing <laughs> so they came up with these 
various entities that one could meditate on temporarily until one comes to the point of transcending the bodily concept of life and then one gives those up and merges into nothingness or into the impersonal uh, Godhead. And so the, the context Prabhupada uses it in, which I only found in one other place, which is a letter that he wrote to uh, a devotee uh, named Sai, who later became his disciple, was um, what he put in parentheses, the impersonal super soul. He was referring to the fact that, number one, the impersonalists, when they meditate on the super soul, they're doing it with the idea of rejecting later and merging into the impersonal. And that's borne out in the commentary to the, to the verse, Tadasmasharam, Tridayam Bateyam, Yagrihamaner Harinamadeyai, Nabikri Tata Yatavikaro, Netre Jalam Gatra Urhesha Harsha. We read that yesterday. So in that verse, uh, Shukadev Goswami was saying, that there's a way in which if a person is showing external symptoms but they haven't changed their habits, their heart remains hard. It's known that their heart's still framed. And so there's one class of yogi who meditates on this panchopasana. And uh, the acharyas say that they can't be called devotees even though they meditate on the super soul because their hearts are like an iron fish hook. And after they capture that vision of the Lord, then they later give it up. There's no actual devotion there. So in that sense, they say they're iron-hearted uh, also, steel-framed, I should say. They use that word iron. So it goes to this idea that also that in the meditation on the super-soul, when there's no sense of relationship, you're not even in Shantaras, then it, there's a sense of, of it being impersonal. But especially it's in co context of the Mayavadis who practice this concocted system of Panchopasana. You can pass it along. Okay, a couple more. Oh yeah, there's some on the board. I don't see any on the board. Hare Krishna, Guru Maharaj. Okay, Deva Vrata. Hare Krishna. I just I, I was appreciating something that came up in this last purport. Similarly, the body of a pure Vaishnava changes transcendentally at once when he gives himself up to the service of the Lord and is trained by a qualified Vaishnava. And I was thinking in relationship to the early days of the movement and how so many devotees gave themselves to the mission of Srila Prabhupada. And then when Srila Prabhupada left, um, you know, potentially just due to the influence of the spiritual master leaving the world. There's a certain amount of fidelity that people can lose, but then those who maintain fidelity to Srila Prabhupada, um, it's very palpable being in their in their presence. So I just was wondering if you would mind speaking about um, fidelity to one's spiritual master in relationship to uh, becoming purified and transformed. Can you look up the word fidelity? In the in the Shastra it said Yasya Devi Parabhaktir Yata Devi Tatagarao 
tasyaite katita yarta prakashanti mahatmanaha. When one has implicit faith in one's guru and also in Krishna, then all the truths of the Vedas are revealed. What is fidelity? Bart has become our lead researchist. Um, it's from the early 15th century, and it means faithfulness or devotion. From old French, fidelite. From Latin, fidelitatum, faithfulness, adherence, trustiness. From fidelis, faithful, true, trusty, sincere. From fidus, faith. And yeah, it's from the 1530s as faithful adherence to the truth or reality. Thank you. I had a business for some time, and part of the business was teaching people how, how to do a business. And I noticed that people really like the idea of going into business for themselves. But then when the hard work came along, they s decided, let me try a different one. Maybe it's, not, maybe it's the wrong business. <laughs> and they keep switching from one to the other. And so, um, you know, it's easy to think that um, maybe I'll find something somewhere else. And that, you know, that's better, new flavor of the day. Prabhupada noted it when he saw that devotees, he said, were collecting stacks of austere books. He said, all you have to do is chant Hare Krishna. And I see my disciples collecting austere books because maybe they get an inside track somewhere. And that, you know, simple devotion. There was a story with Srila Bhaktisiddhanta where a scholarly person had been impressed by some of Srila Bhaktisiddhanta's disciples and had come to find out how he could be like that. It's very impressive when you meet somebody who's not only purified, but also very learned, and then he's like, God, I'm late for it. Maybe I should be into this. <laughs> so he came to the, to the Mat, that's the temple, where Srila Bhaktisiddhanta was, and he got an audience with him, and he said, you know, I met some of your disciples. They're highly learned. They know all these, they know so many things and they're exemplary, you know. Uh, how can I be like that? You know, I need direction. I'd like to work under one of them, you know, to apprentice. And Srila Bhaktisiddhanta sent him to one of, the, one of his disciples that was on campus. His name was Gopal. So he said, you go work under Gopal. Whatever he says, you do, you, you watch him, you do what he does. So the man went off searching for Gopal on the campus. It's a fairly big campus and asking around. And, oh, yeah, he's over there, over there, a little further. Yeah. And he got to the garden and he saw somebody raking leaves. And he's like, excuse me, do you know where Gopal is? And he's like, yeah, I'm Gopal. <laughs> so the man went back to Srila Bhaktisiddhanta and said, I'm sorry, Maharaj, maybe there's been some mistake. <laughs> I, oh, maybe I get it. You're trying to instruct me, you know, to be more humble. He said, did you ask him to work under him? And he said, uh, no. He said, go back. And he went back and he began to shadow Gopal and saw his qualities. He was a, ostensibly a simple person, but he was very faithful and listening to his guru and sitting and hearing, and doing uh, this menial service. Menial means something with your hands. And so then uh, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta was pointing out that it's not about 
erudite scholarship, but it's about faith to one's guru, fidelity, and uh, just doing service where you go deeper and deeper and become um, blessed by the natural process of being faithful. Tadvidi pranipatena pariprashnena sevaya upadakshanti de jnanam jnaninas tatvadarshina. This is Krishna's recommendation in the Bhagavad Gita. If you want to become advanced in spiritual practice, then find somebody, as Prabhupada just mentioned here, who knows the science and is also a pure devotee. And then three things. He says, pranipat. Go there uh, in a mood of uh, humility. Be submissive. Submissiveness goes a long way because then people go like, oh, okay, I can give this person something. If you already know something, yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, all right, see, <laughs> you already know everything. <laughs> Can't help you. But if you're pranipat, like Rupa and Sanatana Goswami, they were the learned scholars, they were already billionaires. There wasn't anything they hadn't achieved. But when they went to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they started off with straw in their teeth, which is a sign of humility and offer that we don't know it. We're fools. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu showed that example also. I mean, he's Krishna. But to show the example, he went to his guru and said, I'm just a fool. I don't know anything. So please instruct me. So this pranipat, pariprashnena, means that one asks relevant questions, which means you have to be uh, sincere and sincerely practicing in any discipline to come up with good questions. Just like if you're learning an instrument and you don't practice, next time you meet your teacher, you'll say, any questions? Like, nope. It's like, you didn't practice, did you? <laughs> because if you practice, then you would have like, I need to know this, this, and this. And so you should have relevant questions. And sevaya, you should also render service to such a person and that service never breaks. Even after the spiritual master leaves the world, uh, as Prabhupada writes in the first chapter of the Adi Lila, that in the absence of the spiritual master, then one should take the order of the spiritual master as one's life and soul. And so that's the protocol for one who, uh, you know, takes shelter of, of a guru and, and follows, and that's the, the means of success. And of course, um, well, there's a lot more to be said in that. Guru Tattva is a, is a huge issue, but that's, that's one thing I can say for now. Thank you for the observation and the question. Hare Krishna, Guru Maharaj. Dhanavari. Hare Krishna, please accept my bolo obeisance, Jai Shala Prabhupada. Hare Krishna. Uh, Hare Krishna, I have a, one question and re reflection. So, my reflection is uh, when Lord Chaitanya said that, uh, I'm just paraphrasing uh, that he said, I, I, it doesn't matter what caste uh, there is, I, I don't believe in that or anybody can be Vaishnava, I like that part, uh, that, that is, uh, you don't have to be born in Brahmin or any specific uh, Varnashram, that part I like. And my question is, uh, uh, so in, in Gita, I forgot what chapter 10th or 9th, that he, uh, 
Krishna says that even though if uh, impersonalists or anybody who comes to me indirectly, they are offering to me whatever they are offering. Uh, so in that, would you explain a little bit, please, about, so they, even though in person they will, the Krishna gets it, gets their service, or how does that, uh, what does it mean by that? Well, the demigods are limbs of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. If you look at the the universal form, you'll see that the devas are just like his extensions. And as mentioned in the Brahma Samhita, in the various descriptions of devas or demigods, like Shristi we have Durga mentioned and then Ganesh Yat and there's Brahma, there's Shiva, Shiram, Yatadid, Vikara, Visheshi, etc. So all these devas are there mentioned and said that they're getting all their power from Govinda. And so if you're going to a, a deva and saying, please help me, you can notice like we just mentioned Ganesh. So then in the verse it says, how is Ganesh getting his power to remove obstacles on your path? Do you know? According to the verse, he's holding the... Mm -hmm. Lotus feet of Lord Nishingadev on his head. <laughs> That's how he's getting his power. So someone might say, well, why don't I just worship Lord Nishingadev then <laughs> instead of Ganesh? Uh, and so all of them are empowered agents of, of the Supreme Personality of God. And so Krishna says, and I make, if somebody worships the Devas, I make their faith steady so that they can come to me. So Krishna is accommodating us. So if we have some material desire, then he makes it uh, he makes it all seamless. So it's like, okay, I'll help you. You can have faith in this deva. I'll empower you to do that. That's how liberal he is in giving us full facility to express our free will in whatever way we want in the material or the spiritual world. Thank you so much, uh, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. What's the translation of that? <laughs> what? I need help. I need help. <laughs> I thought maybe she missed, I don't know if it was she or he, but missed Channing's chapter of Bhagavad Gita today. It's like, I was upset. Yes, Charles. Please give Charles a mic. It'll come to you. FedEx. Prabhu, please help and turn it on. Show him how to turn it on. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. It was mentioned that self-realization uh, is confidential knowledge and that God-realization is even more confidential knowledge. I was wondering if you can expand or 
talk a little bit more about uh, the idea of self-realization being confidential. Like, to whom is that confidential? How does that become less confidential? Can you look up the word confidential? Uh-oh, we lost our lead researchist. Confidential. Confidential service. Confidential, adjective, from 1759, indicating the confiding of a private intimacy. From Latin, confidentia, sense of intended to be treated as private, and yeah. Thank you. There's this, well, self-realization, Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita as the awareness that I'm not the body, but I am the soul within the body. But then he mentions that there's also another entity within the body besides oneself, and that's the Supreme Spirit or the Super Self. So just as the Shweta Shvatara Upanishad describes, there's a tree. You've heard this one before. There's a tree, and then there's two birds on the tree. There's the eating bird, and then there's the witnessing bird. So self-realization is a point of coming to understanding, oh, I'm not my body, I'm actually spirit. This is called aham brahmasmi. I'm not, I'm spirit. But then a higher realization and more confidential is that there's a witness and, a, and an overseer and a provider that's actually keeping the lights on. Everything that I have, whatever intelligence I have, whatever facility I have internally or externally is all coming from the Supreme Spirit. And then it gets more confidential because as Krishna describes himself in the Bhagavad Gita, he says that I'm the Sukhrit, um, your best friend. There's a sense of not just some impersonal force, but there's a personality there and then there's that personality is actually the most friendly person uh, we'll ever know. Who's are sometimes Prabhupada describes the super soul or the way Krishna comes with us as companionship. He's actually our companion. I looked up that word too, and it's comes from Italian and uh, or Latin, and it's that uh, it means pane means bread. So campagne means somebody you break bread with. Break bread means you sit and have lunch. <laughs> so we're really intimate with Krishna, but we've forgotten. So there are different stages. One stage is self-realization, and then the other stage is God-realization and knowing our relationship. So some people just, they realize the self, and they think, I'm spiritual. But what are you going to do about it once you realize you're, you're not your body? It has to be something to do. And, and that what's to do is devotional service, which means I realize there's a source to not only everything, but also me, because I'm part of everything, and I come from that original source. So what should I do about it? Let me try to do some service. And that's more intimate still. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for the great question. Okay, we have a few minutes left. Would you like to hear another verse? Yes. Okay.
He is the super soul and the supreme lord of all self-realized souls. He is the personification of the Vedas, religious scriptures, and austerities. He is worshipped by Lord Prama and Lord Shiva and all those who are transcendental to all pretensions. Being so revered with awe and veneration, may that supreme absolute be pleased with me. Is it Kumbh Mela or what? Oh, wait, wait. Radhakripa knows the mantras. He has special mantras. The Supreme Lord, the Personality of Godhead, although the Lord of all followers of different paths of self-realization, is knowable only by those who are above all pretensions. Everyone is searching for eternal peace and eternal life. And with an aim to this destination, everyone is either studying the Vedic scriptures or other religious scriptures, or undergoing severe austerity as empiric philosophers as mystic yogis or as unalloyed devotees, etc. But the Supreme Lord is perfectly realized only by the devotees because they are above all pretensions. That's important, above all pretensions. Those who are on the path of self-realization are generally classified as karmis, jnanis, yogis, or devotees of the Lord. And we got to, of course, look up pretension and where it comes from. The karmis who are much attracted by the fruitive activities of the Vedic rituals are called bhukti kami, or those who desire material enjoyment. The jnanis who try to become one with the Supreme by mental speculation are called mukti kami, and those who desire liberation from material existence, or those who desire liberation from material existence. The mystic yogis who practice different types of austerities for attainment of eight kinds of material perfection and who ultimately meet the supersoul, Paramatma, in trance are called Siddhikami. And those who desire the perfection of becoming finer than the finest, becoming heavier than the heaviest, getting everything desired, having control over everyone, creating and everything liked, etc. All these are abilities of a powerful yogi, but the devotees of the Lord do not want anything like that for self-satisfaction. They want only to serve the Lord because the Lord is great, and as living entities, they are eternally subordinate parts and parcels of the Lord. This perfect realization of the self by the devotee helps him to become desireless, to desire nothing for his personal self, and thus the devotees are called nishkami, without any desire. A living entity, by his constitutional position, cannot be void of all desires. The bhukti kami, mukti kami, and siddhi kami all desire something for personal satisfaction. But the nish kami, devotees of the Lord, desire everything for the satisfaction of the Lord. They are completely dependent on the orders of the Lord and are always ready to discharge their duties for the satisfaction of the Lord. In the beginning, Arjuna placed himself as one of those who desire self-satisfaction. For he desired not to fight in the battle of Kukshetra, but to make him desireless, the Lord preached the Bhagavad Gita, in which the ways of karma yoga, jnana yoga, hakta yoga, and bhakti yoga were explained. Because Arjuna was without any pretension, he changed his decision and satisfied the Lord by agreeing to fight. Karishevachanam tava. And thus he became desireless. The examples of Brahma and Lord Shiva, 
are specifically cited here because Brahmaji, Lord Shiva, Srimati, Lakshmiji, and the four Kumaras, Sana, Sanak, Sanatan, etc., are leaders of the four desireless Vaishnav Sampradayas. They are all freed from all pretensions. Srila Jiva Goswami interprets the word Gatta Vyalikai as Projita Kaitava, or those who are free from all pretensions, the unalloyed devotees. In the Chaitanya Charitamrita, Madhya, 1949, it said, Those who are after fruit of results for their pious activities, those who desire salvation and identity with the Supreme, and those who desire material perfections of mystic yoga are all restless because they want something for themselves. But the devotee is completely peaceful because he has no demand for himself and is always ready to serve the desire of the Lord. The conclusion is, therefore, that the Lord is for everyone because no one can achieve the result of his respective desires without his sanction. But as stated by the Lord in Bhagavad Gita 8.9, all such results are rewarded by him only, awarded by him only, for the Lord is Adishvara, the original controller, Adishvara, of everyone, namely the Vedantists, the great Karma Kandiyas, the great religious leaders, the great performers of austerity, and all who are striving for spiritual advancement. But ultimately, he is realized by the pretentiousless devotees only. Therefore, special stress is given to the devotional service of the Lord by Srila Shukadeva Goswami. Um, so pretension comes from the mid-15th century, and it means assertion, allegation, objection, intention, or signification. It's from medieval Latin, pretensionem, which comes from Latin, pretendere, which means to stretch in front, put forward, or allege. Oh, nice. Like the word ten, as in intention, pretension. Yeah, okay. You don't... Put yourself forward, you take the direction of the Lord instead. No pretense. How about pretense? Just see the direct definition of pretense. Uh, it means the putting forth of a claim, false or hypocritical profession, feigning disguise, that under cover of which an actual design or meaning is concealed. Cheating. That's why uh, Jiva Goswami said that I mean, Dharma Projita Kaitavo, which is the second verse of the Bhagavatam, it starts by saying, Dharma Projita Kaitavo Traparamo Nimatsaranam Satam. That this um, Bhagavatam is beyond pretense or beyond cheating. It's a cheating means that you're cheating. Your, did anybody tell you this when you were a kid? You're only cheating yourself. <laughs> you heard that. <laughs> you cheat, you're only cheating yourself. It's really true. And so this idea of wanting something separate from Krishna to enjoy separately, this separatism is a kind of cheating. You're cheating yourself, trying to treat Krishna, but it just cheats yourself. And uh, the Bhagavatam starts by saying this book 
rejects all acts of pretension, all acts of cheating, which are based on this self-centered idea that I'm separate from Krishna, my enjoyment separate from him, and embraces the idea that only by pure devotional service, that is all for Krishna. And of course, paradoxically, or counterintuitively, when we embrace that attitude, then we get everything that we always wanted, which is to be completely happy. Gopremanande Haribo! Thank you.